before going into quarantine, I was started to develop like a game that I was making paintings with. So I, I built decks of cards and each deck represented some sort of quality of abstract painting. So one was like edge and technique and then tool and medium, transparency of the color, size, pattern, and shape. So I had six decks of cards and then I'd pick a card from each deck and that would essentially tell me what I had to do. So it was all about aleatory and, and chance processes and kind of taking what's going to happen out of my control in a way. So I still had control of what the color was and where that shape or object was was placed on the canvas. But all those other choices were out of my control. Kind of thinking about board games, because I, I was trying to think about how I can bring that into painting uh, and chance processes. And I was reading a lot of Talo Calvino and 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 how he employs chance processes in his writing and how I could do it in paint in a, in a way that was controlled, but also, you know, the restriction made way for a lot of, lot of things that wouldn't generally happen in the work. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 235th episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Adam Fulweiler, who spoke with me all about his paintings that explore a wide variety of different processes, from distilling uh, language and memory into symbols in his paintings and various writing, as well as a card game that he created to help create and generate ideas for paintings. We talk about some of the materials that range from acrylic paint to spray paint to using woven canvases and all sorts of great stuff. We talk about it all coming up in this episode. And I would note that Adam was selected by Tim Kowalczyk as one of our 2020 Studio Break MFA competition winners. When I interviewed him, he was just starting back to working in the studio again, so we're very excited to have him on. Be sure and check out his work at Adam Fulweiler Art on Instagram. Follow him there, and also check out his work at adamfulweiler.com. If you're new to Studio Break, be sure and check out the archive of episodes that we have on studiobreak.com. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's artwork, links to their website so you can find out all about them. And of course, you can listen to the interviews right in the default player or just click those links and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. So go check it out. There's plenty to check out and fill your studio with. You can also like our Facebook page as well as check out our Twitter account at Studio Break. And of course, be sure to follow on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And with those brief announcements, we're going to dive right into this interview with Adam Fulweiler. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Adam Fulweiler. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? Excellent. We've been chit-chatting about the wonderful predicament that we are in in terms of uh, education these days. So it'll be nice to uh, dive into your world of abstract paintings for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. You are one of the uh, winners for this year's 2020 Studio Break competition. Your work was picked by uh, Tim Kowalczyk. As I was explaining to you, it's always kind of fun to let somebody else pick. But you know, when I saw that you were one of the people selected, I was really excited because I really like your work. So it'll be fun to talk all about it. Yeah, thanks. I'd love to know a little bit more about you. So where are you from originally? I'm originally from uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about that experience. What kind of things did you uh, do when you were making mischief, I guess, as a little kid? <laughs> yeah, I was definitely a, a little bit of a mischief kid. <laughs> I, I was a big time skateboarder, every board sport, 
that was around I was involved in. And I was in a band for quite a few years coming into university. So through high school, I was in a ska band and we did a little bit of touring. So I was big into arts in a different way mm-hmm. and skateboarding and a different type of creative outlets, music and skateboarding. And and then I started painting and, you know, went into college knowing I wanted to study art immediately. Like since taking a couple years off after high school, really kind of cemented what I wanted to go for. So what's well, interesting because I'm usually used to hearing people talk about the opposite, you know, maybe they, they get their undergraduate degree and then take some time off. So is that when you were touring and kind of like seeing if music was going to be something that became more full time, I guess, or? Yeah. Yeah. We, we were all like basically doing the band thing full time. And, uh, then a couple of the guys decided it was time to go to school. We had some really smart guys in the band. One of them went to Berkeley and we decided it was time to go our separate ways and go to school. Right on. While we were in the band, I was still interested in art and and painting, but it wasn't really serious until I started entering college and and showing my work a little bit more. And in terms of like your high school art education, I mean, was that something where you kind of did the, you know, traditional graphic arts, some painting, maybe some photography, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I I did a little bit of film photography and uh, graphic design as well. And I took pretty much every art class I could take and was doing spray paint things, you know, being in the skateboard scene, not necessarily like graffiti, but like those space paintings and stuff like that. I was always making something. That's what people I think turn to when they don't want to work in a cubicle, you know, it's like, I'm going to make art. I'm going to make music. I don't want to deal with algorithms. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> yeah. Well, so I would imagine then your parents were kind of encouraging of that in terms of like you wanting to study art or Oh, yeah. My parents were awesome. They always supported me in whatever I wanted to do. You know, my dad started out in graphic arts and then moved into marketing. And my mom was never really involved in anything that has to do with arts or really anybody else in my family. So it was is pretty it developed pretty organically. So you kind of decide then this is my thing. I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to study art. And from the beginning, it was art. Yeah, right away. I came in knowing I wanted the major in art. And I had it as a double major graphic design and art for a while. But my junior year, I decided I wanted to pull back on my graphic design. And, and I made that a minor. It was just sitting in front of a computer and the distance from the material was something that I wasn't willing to give up. Yeah. I mean, I could see that in your work too. I mean, well, anybody that really kind of likes working uh, with physical materials, I mean, there is just definitely a different tactile quality or even just like playing an instrument, you know, Yeah. as opposed to working all digitally. So, so one thing we haven't talked about yet is, you know, like say, you know, we're starting out in college, you know, we're, you know, working through all of our regular curriculum, you know, I'm assuming that at some point you took painting and started getting into it. When did, when did you start kind of really getting into abstraction in, in terms of maybe relating to some of your later work that came out of those years? Yeah, going into school, I was already painting abstractly and doing a lot of abstract landscapes and, and stuff like that. But I didn't st- take painting right away because I knew I was, I was already interested in painting and I wanted to try a lot of other media areas before I started, you know, really fully engaging in one medium. Mm-hmm. So I took a lot of ceramics classes and metals and printmaking. And, and then I started taking painting and did some uh, more representational work for a while and decided that wasn't for me. I was more or more interested in the material than I was in in what it was depicting, you know, more interested in, in uh, material exploration and, and build up of material and, and, and space. Sure, sure. Well, that makes sense, too, given some of your 
developments with the work. It's li- literally things that I wrote down is like some of them start to become landscapes, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's uh, various like window forms and all sorts of stuff. And I think one of the things that's great about, you know, doing a BFA like that is that you do take all those other classes. You do get really well-rounded. And I think just learning all of those processes just kind of makes you more adaptable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Was there like anything in particular that you were kind of maybe looking at in terms of kind of pushing you towards the abstract work or any artists that where you were like, Oh my gosh, like this is exactly what I want to be doing. Or at least, you know, (laughs) this is what I want to achieve in my own work. Yeah. I mean, I was always obsessed with the, you know, the big uh, abstract painters, you know, Soman, Mary Heilman, Nuskowski and, and uh, Carrie Moyer and, and all those. And, I was looking at them while I was making some of my early BFA work, but I really started to study them as it got to the end of my BFA career. And so with regards to that, like, did you have to have like a a thesis show and write about your work and (laughs) figure that all out? Yeah, we had a thesis show. We had to write our artist statement. Uh, We didn't have to write like a a thesis Mm -hmm. paper or anything like that, but we got to have an exhibition. We had a pretty nice gallery on campus for a small university and we got to install our work with all the other seniors in one space, but we each had our own kind of section of the gallery that we could really do what we wanted to with. What was the work kind of focused on? I know we've talked a little bit about abstraction and, you know, maybe it's ties to not only that work, but then the work that you're making now. But at the time, I mean, what were the things that you were kind of mostly focused on? Yeah, uh, the work that was in my senior exhibition was installation based and it was, was making paintings uh, with objects, essentially. I was, uh, instead of using just paint material, I was using objects, but thinking of the objects as a form of paint, mm-hmm. using like ductwork, rope, yarn, you know, exposing the stretcher frame, using different type of painting substrates like pleather and, and uh, mesh and like silicone caulk and construction materials and kind of putting those all together and, and making a wall installation that was referencing painting in, in a different way. Well, and I could see that kind of relating to some of the, the work that comes after that with the kind of like canvases that are, you know, manipulated, cut into and mm-hmm. kind of maybe a little bit more physical. You know, it's interesting to think about those 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 moments, because, again, you finally get to see all this, you know, uh, work up in a space after you've been spending all these hours, you know, kind of figuring things out. Was there anything that you kind of took away from that experience? I'm assuming that one of the things is like, oh, you know, maybe need to go back for my graduate degree at some point or I don't know. Yeah, I, I was a five year BFA student, so I knew <laughs> Me too. when I was going into my like, yeah, I think many are. Uh, but I, I knew going into my even my fourth year that I wanted to pursue art seriously and and I knew I wanted to go to graduate school eventually. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I wanted to take, uh, you know, at least a year off when I when I finished my undergrad degree and really focus on my work without, you know, direction and without, you know, regimented program mm-hmm. and kind of figure it out on my own for a little bit. And I'm really glad I did that because the work grew a lot after undergrad. I made that installation work and, and taking from that, I really figured out how to think about space in a two-dimensional surface in a different way, I guess, in, in a more advanced way. And I tried to bring that to the work that I made afterwards. Well, and so you, you know, graduate from the University of Wisconsin. What led you, you know, to Arkansas? I mean, was there anything that, you know, like a visit or anything else like that that kind of particularly like drew you to to moving there? I know, again, nobody's ever like, hey, you should get your graduate degree here, too. You know, they're always like, oh, you got to go to some other area. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. 
I definitely wanted to move outside of Wisconsin. I've lived in Wisconsin my whole life, so I, I wanted to experience somewhere else, and I thought that would be a good time to do it, you know, during a graduate program. You know, it might grow my work in a different way, mm-hmm. but I definitely never expected to be coming to Arkansas. Uh, I was working at a gallery in Algoma, Wisconsin, James May Gallery, as an intern, and the director of the gallery suggested that I apply here because she knew some people in the program. So I would have honestly never had found out about the program here if, if it wasn't for uh, her. So, yeah. Interesting. And then you just completed your first year there. Is that right? Yeah, I'm going into my second year now. Okay. So again, it's exciting to have, have you booked at this period of time. Hopefully it won't be something that you'll ask me to scrub from the internet uh, two years from now when you're like, oh, you can't talk about that work anymore. You know, it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, nothing relates anymore. I'm, you know, making you know, complicated paper airplanes or so. I don't know. <laughs> so again, you take some time off. What did you do like during that period of time? Did you like literally just move to Fayetteville first or did you, you said you were interning then and then moved? Yeah. So I was interning at that gallery for a full year appointment and uh, I moved straight from there to Fayetteville. So I moved here quite early before the semester began and I was able to, you know, orient myself to the area and get in my studio early, which I was really lucky to be able to do that and kind of get comfortable before the semester started. And and that was a pretty big advantage, I think. Well, and to think about the differences, you know, like when you're not working, like you said, like regimented for like a class or anything, was it hard for you to kind of get time in or did you just kind of like build it into a schedule? Because obviously it's a lot different than, you know, having to meet for crits and all of that. Yeah, I I definitely built it into my schedule. You know, I I was a server for for many, many years and, and as horrible as that job is, it really affords you a lot of, of, of time to focus on your art practice because you can work less less hours and make a decent amount of money if you're in a working in a busy restaurant. I, I did have shows to, uh, you know, a couple shows a year that were local and I had a nice small uh, local community of artists that I was in conversation with and and, and that was really helpful in, in keeping myself motivated and making the work and pushing myself in the studio. So I want to make sure that obviously we talk a lot about your more current stuff, but I guess if you could kind of maybe describe maybe some of the differences that you'd kind of notice between kind of that later BFA work, obviously moving from installation to painting is going to be kind of different. And I maybe kind of talked a little bit about, you know, some of the pieces that were uh, prior to that, the ones that were peeling. Yeah. But I mean, you know, what kind of shifts, you know, happened in your work during that, that time? I mean, you know, you talk a little bit about memory, so I'm assuming that that's yeah. something that's in, involved in your work. But maybe talk a little bit about that. You know, from the from the series that came when you were not being, you know, whipped in class or something. Right when I was in uh, in purgatory, in between the two, right? Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't really thinking too much about memory yet. Um, that really came when I came into graduate school, and we can talk about that more once we get to that work. But the work in between, I was taking quotes or situations from my daily experience and trying to loosely translate them into an image. Mm-hmm. But it was pretty loose at this point. A lot of times I was, I was making the paintings, and then you know, I, I'd have a list in my sketchbook of, of, of quotes of you know, people close to me, what I've had conversations about or, or um, experiences that I've had. And then I'd, I'd put the, those two with the painting. I'd match them up. And it wasn't like taking the quote or experience and directly making a painting about it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was, but more often than not, I was making the painting more intuitively and then thinking about like, why did I make this painting? Does it have anything to do with, you know, these things that I've been uh, recording in my sketchbook or is it, or is it unrelated? 
And I'm always curious, especially about process in that regards, are sometimes they're really like tied together to that idea. And then sometimes, you know, not so much is kind of the way you're saying it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times I'd start the painting and then it would kind of present itself to me like this painting is about this specific thing. And, and now I'm going to push it in that direction and and take like the titles are really important to that work and and thinking about taking that quote and putting that in the title and, and trying to bring the viewer to like a similar place or a place that, you know, the viewer has experienced themselves, even though it might not be exactly the same. It's, it's, it has a similar feel. So it was very emotive, uh, the, the work. Well, so, so again, I'm actually kind of curious if we could talk about maybe some of these, like one that sticks out to me is warmth and remembering. Mm-hmm. Again, there's kind of an interesting kind of balance in some of these compositions where some of the shapes kind of mirror each other. You know, is that something that might be distilled from a conversation or, you know, an observation or like even a little sketch or again, maybe kind of walk us literally through the process of something like that. If you can go back, <laughs> go back that far. Cause I would imagine when you're yeah. working intuitively, some of it is just like you said, just kind of reacting. Yeah. A lot of it is reacting to what's on the surface. Um, but I mean, you can kind of see what's below like that transparent hand on top, the hand form, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of history behind that. So, you know, eventually there's, there's something that happens on the canvas that I'm like, okay, this is where this needs to go. And you can just see the scars of like the marks behind the surface of the painting. And that was something that I wanted to happen. So, you know, being intuitive in the beginning of the process was, was beneficial because those scars happened, you know, without me having to like fake them or something like that. At some point I'd be like, okay, this is relating to some conversation I had recently. How can I make this painting fit that more? Or how can I uh, direct it to represent something like this a little bit more, you know, whether it be with color or form or, you know, spatial cues. And again, these are all a little bit smaller works, if I'm not mistaken, too. Like some, well, some of them look like they're a little bit larger, too, but. Yeah, most of them are are pretty small, pretty intimate scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was, you know, limited with my studio size at the time. And which was, this was really the first time I had worked small. So the limitation was really frustrating at first and really kind of debilitating. And I was like, how do I make small work? I've been making, you know, huge, like four (laughs) foot, six foot paintings for like the last two years of my undergraduate career. And, and I, it was really a struggle to, to go to the small scale, but I'm so glad that I was forced to do that because I probably would have never, I've done it otherwise. And it really helped me grow as a painter and think about space in a small scale and uh, push myself to, you know, uh, challenge my compositional skills too. It's interesting all the layering that goes on in the work and, you know, the way that there's implied shadows of some shapes or, you know, things that are going to pop out, you know, certainly by being over overlapping or, you know, various kind of techniques. I'm curious, you know, like, how would you say the color shifted in terms of the work? Because I, you know, was pointing out to you at some point earlier that, you know, it seemed almost like the the work that, you know, was kind of more representative of the earlier stuff, or at least later stuff, but rather from your BFA years, almost looks a little bit more like uh, brushy, kind of muddy. And again, there's just seems like such a different kind of clarity of color and, and kind of that work starting around this time. So you're talking in reference to my more recent, like, graduate work and... Well, I mean, even just now from the from this 2017 series. Yeah. You know, like a piece like Tooth Fairy, for example, you know, which again has you know, some bold color, but again, there's like a number of pieces like that, that don't have 
maybe anywhere near the same kind of brushiness. Again, everything seems a little bit more distilled than some of the previous works. So I'm just, again, wondering if it was just like, I need to clear this color up or if it's, you know, something that might literally be taken, you know, from something that you've observed and made a note about like, oh, look at this color combination or something. Yeah, honestly, the way I was using color then wasn't something that I realized until now, honestly. And and I didn't see that I was making these muted paintings until I started making brighter paintings. And someone <laughs> pointed out to me, like, all your old work was so, like, dull and muted. Why? I was like, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> it was kind of hammered into me. Never used paint from the tube. And I, I mixed a lot of colors by hand. And through that, I think I over-diluted some things. and And that probably had something to do with it. But also, it was it just fit a lot of the, the the content that I was working with too, so it it never felt wrong when I was doing it. So I guess I never thought about why I was making these more muted tones. Well, and again, I always say it because like I'll you know take photographs of garbage cans if they're beautiful, you know, like if they're lit right, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, or something like that. So it's always interesting to think about where, you know, people might pull color from. Yeah. And especially as somebody that's working intuitively, you know, some of that can be like around a form of language, you know, it could be maybe tied into one of these conversation or observations. And again, it's just something too, I think that comes from, you know, just doing stuff over a long period of time. But it seems really like in that period of time, like the 2018, 19, especially that kind of just keeps getting carried further. I would check out um, all of this work on uh, Adam's website, Adam Fulweiler, but there's plenty of work up there. Um, And again, I definitely want to talk about maybe some of these pieces to highlight. The first one really pops off to me is the, when the horizons uh, disappear. Yeah. It seems like you've got a lot of variety in terms of the series that you're working on, but is there something going on that was different or is it still similar to what was, you know, the, the kind of process before? There's some similarities, but this piece was a pretty big deal for me, honestly. Uh, this is when I started to really take cues from my environment and where I was living. And this is when I moved to Algoma, Wisconsin to work as an intern at the gallery. And Algoma, Wisconsin is... I was living literally a block away from Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. If people haven't been to Lake Michigan, it, it's very ocean-like. The horizon feels the same, and it's just a massive expanse of, of lake. And I was taking a lot of cues from that environment. And you get a lot of lake effect fog, especially in Algoma, and because it kind of juts out into the lake a little bit more than the rest of the peninsula of Wisconsin. So you get a lot of weird weather there. So... I, I kind of planned this painting out before I began it, which is something I rarely do. And I knew I wanted to, you know, think about the lake and think about where, where I was and, and bring that in with, you know, this kind of captured window-like space. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, too, because there's that part, you know, around the peripheral edges that really kind of flatten out. But then this part in the center that, you know, you feel like you're looking into the, maybe the way that you kind of just described that. Yeah, because when, when the fog comes in there, you you literally lose the horizon completely. The, the lake just transitions to sky and you can't even tell the difference. So it just looks like an endless expanse of, of blueness. It's pretty amazing. It's striking because, you know, not all of them, but a number of these ones in particular seem a little bit more landscapey. You know, you mentioned that a little bit earlier, and I know, again, you're kind of making this, you know, formal language. Um, but another one that sticks out to me is this downward dog one. Mm. You know, there's kind of these... Um, almost like kind of vanishing points in the corners and this kind of gridded out system that maybe makes you think of like, you know, fields. But um, again, this is still this, that similar kind of process in terms of, you know, thinking about how you're kind of working through this or kind of working, you know, from this observation of the lake. Yeah, this was 
observed from a, the similar area. This was I, in preparation for my first solo show I had at a gallery in Algoma. Not the gallery I was interned at, but one very close to it. At that time, I was also in residence at my alma mater, and I was uh, in residence at this gallery as well because I was in residence a month before the opening of the exhibition. So I was making work inside the gallery. So I made some site-specific stuff there and driving up to the gallery every day from from Green Bay, you pass just massive amounts of farmland. And the way that farmland just becomes naturally gridded out through the, the machinery that's used. And that's where those gridded areas were, were coming from, you know, cues from my environment and my drive up to Algoma, and then the blues from the lake and and such. Sure, sure. Well, it's interesting to think about that being distilled into that work. And so you know, we kind of talked a little bit or hinted at this, alluded to this, you know, you're essentially moving on at some point to, to graduate school. I would imagine that this period of time, you know, really kind of helped you kind of focus, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. It helped me find my own voice, too, without the guidance of, of my professors and, and, and my, you know, cohort of, of other painters. So, you know, it helped prepare me for, you know, self-direction in graduate school, which is pretty much you need to be strong in that regard in, in grad school because nobody's telling you what to do or anything like that. So, you know, getting away from any sort of assigned projects or anything like that in undergrad, it helped me grow as a painter by myself instead of, you know, being told what to do or what not to do. Well, and I'm curious then too. So like, you know, you're starting graduate school and kind of diving in after completing all this work, was that something that was difficult just because you, you know, you're getting solo shows, you're making opportunities for yourself. And then I would imagine, again, there's a little bit of pushback in terms of, I'm sure some hard crits or hard questions from peers and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I felt like I was pretty like mentally prepared for some difficult crits. I knew my work was going to be pushed hard, especially in the like content department because mm-hmm. I had always been really focused on form. So that was the biggest struggle, you know, in my first year was just really trying to hammer my content and, and, and make sure I'm thinking a lot about why I'm making the choices I'm making in the work. And was there any particular like classes, you know, art history, you know, things that kind of helped kind of push that as well? Just lots of crits. You, we have a painting seminar that we take. Whatever your media area is, you take a seminar and you're with all your your peers in that regard. And, and you have pretty regular crits. And those help a lot, you know, coming from all these different painters with all these different backgrounds that are dealing with content in different ways. And then having them crit my work, which is more focused on form and, and them asking me, you know, why I'm making those choices. And then me having to, you know, find an answer. Sure. Or, or, <laughs> You know, so that was a, a a big growth period for sure. And and the the work that I ended my first year with or my first semester with was when the content really started to feel good and, and really started to to make sense to me and not feel like I'm just, you know, trying to fulfill an objective by having a backstory to the work. You know, it was really directing the work in a, in a meaningful way. What piece sticks out to you from that time period that, you know, is like, oh, this is this is like a where I want to be. Yeah, so like the end of the first semester was was first kiss and sister shoved and boat sandbox those three large paintings. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the shapes in those came came out of a very specific process that I did before making the painting. So I was you know taking a, a an autobiographical memory and and distilling it into shape essentially. 
Mm-hmm. I was sitting down before making the painting and, and trying to draw a minimum of 50 shapes while thinking about the memory. And these shapes were uh, either sourced from positions that the bodies may have been in, in this memory, my, my own body or objects that were present, but then also, you know, trying to think of how I can create shapes that represent emotion or more emotive qualities. And then how they got put on the canvas was up to me and how I could create more, you know, verbiage on the canvas, more interaction between these noun shapes that I was creating. So I was creating some kind of like a shape codex that I was trying to build these paintings from. But there's a complexity and kind of sophistication of these that I think the previous work had, but this is just kind of like amped up. I think maybe like I was saying to you, part of that is going back to a slightly larger scale, I'm assuming. Yeah, it felt really good to stretch out again. And it was, again, a challenge at first because I'd been working small for so long and I'm like, how the heck do I paint this large? And I was working with oils too, which I worked mainly in acrylic in undergrad and, and throughout because it's just hard to find a large enough, well-ventilated studio once you're out of school that it's safe to paint with oils. So one of the things that's interesting, too, about a, a painting like First Kiss is that, like, I think there's more room for the viewer to maybe kind of uh, start to kind of get glimpses of these narratives. You know, like, I think that this, you know, bright orange structure reminds me of a house. There seems to be, like, areas that are maybe like a silhouette of, like, a head to the mm-hmm. left of that. So there's start it starts to kind of have these shapes that almost take on a little bit more characteristic and are, it seems more distilled than say the, the work from, you know, years ago where it was maybe kind of a little bit more lost in there, you know, like there's yeah. a lot more characterization of, of the shapes. Mm-hmm. So like, even like this other one, sister shoved, you know, there's kind of like these, like what look like hand forms or, you know, amoeba shapes. You said you did a lot of drawing in terms of like scribbles. Is that like just in, in pencil? Is it in colored pencil or anything like that to kind of play around with color? It was just in pencil. Uh, and I was trying to really specify these shapes that I was using. And once I started the painting, I didn't really allow myself to add any shapes that I hadn't drawn beforehand. So I was kind of thinking about the the length of a re- recollection of an, an autobiographical memory where there becomes a point where you start you know, making things up that you believe are true just because you've been thinking about it for so long and it's an old memory. I really started doing this because my brother has autism and I was thinking about how he communicates with others and how important drawing is to him for communication. Mm-hmm. And I also worked with a lot of other kids with various developmental disabilities and did some, you know, art therapy with them in their school. And just thinking about how these kids communicate with, with each other and kind of thinking about how they communicate their memories and how they communicate in daily life. So I was trying to develop a way to communicate memory in a way that was universal almost, but not entirely. You know, it was still pretty specific to me, but it wasn't about my memories. It was more about this creation of this this shape language. So I'm curious, you know, is there anything also you've talked about, you know, sketching these out differently? Are you still writing about, you know, like what things you want to distill? Because obviously, you know, when you consider all of your, your memories or, you know, thinking about the way that you might be kind of communicating something, I would imagine writing is something that's got to be, you know, really involved in that, almost like a diary or something like that. Yeah. In a way, I was thinking about these shapes that I was making, these shape lists as the writing process instead of actual word. You know, I, I, I was trying to make this translation from, from memory into, you know, shape or language into mark, you know, and making that a transition before, you know, I don't want to go from my mind to word to shape. I wanted to go from my memory to shape without anything in between, really. So that it kind of amps up that idea that you have to kind of communicate through 
almost like symbols in a way, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there really is a lot more characteristics in terms of some of these paintings. Again, like the one, another one that you mentioned was a boat sandbox. Um, yeah. But again, it's interesting because there's almost like these weird foot shapes and arm shapes and a lot of layering too. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about relative to these paintings is, you know, like I would imagine then that, that there's kind of like a lot of layering in terms of like working up backgrounds, then, you know, painting over top. I don't know. How does that process work? I mean, are you taping things off? Are you painting everything by hand? Are you using stencils? Anything like that? Yeah, most of this work was all painted by hand. I had done a lot of taping in some of my previous work, but the way that these paintings were coming together, it made more sense to do it by hand. So I, I had my my shape library or my shape essay that I was pulling from, and I was kind of building these paintings like a puzzle in a way. And, and kind of fitting these shapes within each other. And then eventually I would start to build up, build up and bring it forward and trying to make emphasis with certain shapes that I felt that were more important to the, the content. And, you know, the color and the placement of the shapes was something that wasn't predetermined. That was something that was, you know, happening as I was responding to what was on the canvas, really. And is that something, too, where you've got a bunch of these going at once or is that like difficult to kind of juggle? No, I'm I'm one that has so much work going at one time. I always love to have a lot of pieces in the studio all in different stages and have them kind of be in conversation with each other. So all of these three large paintings were on one wall and I was working all, on all of them at once. And then a lot of the smaller work that is from that same 2019 period uh, was going on that wall opposite of my studio. Yeah. And again, I mean, the color in these uh, seems like just on another level. And there's other paintings, too, like this just barely painting, even though, again, it has a lot more of those kind of like textural kind of marks, maybe like some of the older, you know, BFA work. The color is still kind of like on a, a different level, I think. But it looks like there's almost like scumbling or, you know, some other kind of techniques. So is there any hidden secrets that you don't want to share that you could just <laughs> just no, to fascinate us, tantalize <laughs> us with those details? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm just barely I was I bought a, some pastry bags. So those large marks that are more textural are extruded from a pastry bag. Oh, interesting. And then regarding the punchy color, I just decided it was time to start pushing my color in, in a way that, you know, I've, I've been pretty safe with color before and I got really comfortable Mm -hmm. So I I figured I needed to take some risks uh, as far as color goes. And that's kind of where these, this punchier color started coming from. I'm curious, like, so in, in terms of kind of dealing with uh, the past, you know, year that we've had, what have you been doing, you know, kind of in the more recent work? It looks like there's a lot of stuff on paper from your, you know, Instagram account and or other kind of experiments, but what's, what's been going on there? Cause it looks like you've got like a little book in progress or something like that. Well, the second semester, you know, before we went into quarantine, I kind of uh, walked away from the the words and the the shape content that I was working with and and started to focus on like different mechanics and chance-based processes. And I started to work with collage and that was something that I previously had shied away from just because I hated the process of of holding something down and gluing it. I'm I I like to work really quick and uh it was something that generally I hated because it was a slow process of like, oh, you got to press this down and hold it until it dries. Otherwise, it's going to curl up. But I figured out a way that I could do it and, and make it fast. So I also was working with sewing and sewing uh, pieces of canvas together as a form of collage as opposed to glue. Mm -hmm. And then I found a really good medium that dried really quickly that I could glue things down with. Yeah, I was working on like 40, 50 works on paper at one time on the floor. And 
really focusing on experimentation with space and contrasts, different types of like language and semiotic contrasts and, and thinking about systems from music, jazz. And also I'm obsessed with board games, mm-hmm. not like Monopoly and Risk and like those board games, but the more like niche board games that are harder to find. And there's a lot of mechanics from those board games that I felt could be brought into pain in a, in a very meaningful way. So I thought about how I could start to develop my own system uh, to make a painting, essentially. One of those that I would want to highlight, too, is this one called Open Wide. Again, it, so it has woven canvas. Is that like the ground then? It's all like different pieces of canvas that are woven together? or Yeah, yeah. It was woven together and then also uh, sewn. And it did two things. First of all, it created a different surface to paint on, which was kind of referencing some of the old work I did with paint skins mm-hmm. and creating a, like a scarred surface without using the medium of paint. It also just created a different type of real space versus painted space, illusionistic versus actual space. And it's interesting too, like the color scheme in this one is kind of almost like an analogous color scheme, you know, essentially mm-hmm. like a lot of yellow, yellow greenish you know, kind of paint. But again, it's interesting because there's still a lot of that like stacking of shapes and or, you know, you kind of start to kind of want to, I guess, you know, leave the viewer with something to kind of piece together as well. Yes. So a lot of these shapes were coming from those lists that I was making for the other paintings. And then I was kind of making, so I was thinking large paintings as as being more of like a novel where like a medium sized painting was like an essay about that subject. And then the smaller paintings were like a sentence or just a just a snippet from these memories or just a, like a hint at what I was thinking about. And are all of these kind of works on paper a bit smaller or are they about the same size as your other? The works on paper are around 11 by 14 for the most part. Some are a little bit bigger, some are a little bit smaller, but they're all kind of around that size. And are you cutting up like old paintings or are you kind of like, you know, painting out like various... It looks like there's an image, for example, that has like a bunch of different scraps of different things that you're kind of painting through and then cutting apart and putting back together. Yeah. So, you know, I cut apart old failed paintings or, uh, you know, cut pieces of paper. And one thing that the collage allowed me to do was you bring medias together that don't usually mix like, you know, oil pastel and acrylic or or you really can't get a good pencil line on a, on a painting. So how can I bring the mark that comes from a scribble and bring that into something that's painted very softly or very uh, tenderly. And, and bringing in the collage was something that allowed me to make these more meaningful contrasts that aren't really possible to do unless they're pre-planned on a canvas. Yeah. Again, it's interesting too, to just think about the, how there's a similar aesthetic, but then it gets pushed in a different way, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, I would imagine then some of the things that you're collaging back over, some of them, maybe you're painting back into a lot. Maybe some of them, you know, almost feel complete when you start getting just a couple of those different elements together. Yeah. And, and I started to play with paint skins again, which was something I hadn't done for a while. And if you don't know what a paint skin is, it's essentially you take acrylic paint or some sort of sort of latex enamel and pour it down on like a sheet of plastic, like painter's plastic. And, and let it dry and you can peel it up and it's really like a, a pretty rigid flexible uh, uh, material that you can weave into the canvas or collage with as well so the piece gutted uh, that has a paint skin on the left side and it's been put down on to my drop cloth that I've been working on the works on paper and when you peel it up it takes everything all the history on that drop cloth with it 
so all of those edges that have been gessoed and, and like the splatters that beat up on the plastic gets peeled back up with this paint skin that's poured onto it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I think, you know, that's kind of cyclical nature of kind of coming back to things is always something that's present in, in, you know, especially painters work sometimes. Mm -hmm. So again, it's interesting because there's, you know, still kind of like what's been going on in the later series. But then again, a painting like this almost kind of reminds me of some of that stuff that, you know, was from your later BFA stuff. And I guess it makes sense if you're using a lot of skins at that time too. Uh, yeah. that there's like a, a crossover looks like at the top, like almost like a, like a series of sketchbook pages. Are these little sketches or are these just tiny works on paper? So when we went into quarantine, I didn't have access to my massive studio anymore. So I needed to figure out a way to keep making work and, and think about the same ideas that I was thinking about on a really small scale. Didn't have a whole lot of room in my apartment to set up a reasonable studio. So I started working as small scale as you can get and working in this book. And I wasn't thinking of them as sketches. I was really thinking about the whole book as uh, as an art piece. Mm-hmm. Before going into quarantine, I was started to develop like a game that I was making paintings with. So I, I built decks of cards, and each deck represented some sort of a quality of abstract painting. So one was like edge and technique, and then tool and medium, transparency of the color, size, pattern, and shape. So I had six decks of cards, and then I pick a card from each deck and that would essentially tell me what I had to do. So it was all about aleatory and, and chance processes and kind of taking what's going to happen out of my control in a way. So I still had control of what the color was and where that shape or object was was placed on the canvas, but all those other choices were out of my control. Kind of thinking about board games because I, I was trying to think about how I can bring that into painting uh, and chance processes and I was reading a lot of Talo Calvino and 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 how he employs chance processes in his writing and how I could do it in paint in a, in a way that was controlled, but also, you know, the restriction made way for a lot of, lot of things that wouldn't generally happen in the work. So it seems like, you know, like throughout the work, then there's always kind of this, you know, desire to kind of push things forward and then kind of exploring something in like a new process to help kind of inform that language. Or in this case, again, like losing a studio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, again, it's really interesting because I'm, I'm imagining then there's ways that you're thinking about what, how this will change when you maybe have a uh, different space to work in as well. Yeah. So we have access to our studio again. We just got it back. So, and it's, and it's kind of this weird situation where you, you leave those ideas behind and uh, it's picking them back up again. is it's really strange. So the, the book came out of moving into quarantine and, and, you know, I was making these, uh, restrictions for myself, but then, you know, the world made restrictions for us. So I, I was kind of letting that be the restriction. And that's where the book came in. The book is a restriction. It's how, how you can paint on a sketchbook. And I was making these cut in pieces that, you know, you'd, you'd see the painting on a surface, but then you'd also see a painting like two, three, four layers back. Mm-hmm. And those contrasts that were created when you were cutting through almost blindly was another form of chance in my mind. And what showed through and how it affected the painting on the surface was something that I couldn't really entirely plan or predict. Well, again, I would imagine, you know, just because you still got like a couple of years left to kind of keep exploring that you've got, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of different processes and (laughs) who knows, maybe if life returns to normal, that'll change things or, 
you know, if we stay in quarantine for a bit longer or kind of isolation. But again, it's really interesting to think about how that kind of keeps shifting throughout the work. And then, you know, what stays the same and what's different? Is there anything kind of like coming up in terms of the the fall semester in terms of goals uh, or like a new series or anything like that as you, I guess, get access a little bit back to, to your studio? Yeah, well, I want to get big again because I right before we went into isolation, uh, I had two 66 by 77 inch canvases that I had built and just started on. And obviously I couldn't bring those with me. <laughs> so I'm really excited to get on those again and, and continue kind of what I've been thinking about with with chance and language and, and memory and, and keep developing that as we're getting wrapped up with this lovely conversation, talking about all these paintings. Are there any things that you're kind of working for in terms of exhibitions, um, you know, coming up in the near future? And, you know, just remind everybody where are the best places to check out your work. I do have work available on SuttonHilton.com. Mm -hmm. And then I also have work available on Artsy, too. And, and my Instagram is at AdamFullweilerArt. And then my website is AdamFullweiler.com. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, again, I would definitely go check it out. There's lots to see. And uh, again, I just love seeing these paintings and seeing all the exploration. So, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Yeah, my Especially you're getting, getting ready to dive back into this, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. Thanks once again to Adam for joining me. Go and check out his website. There's tons of work there at adamfullweiler.com. You can also find his work on Sutton Hilton and artsy so check out his work there that's available or you could just shoot him a dm on instagram check out his work there he's got tons of stuff posted all the time so follow him at adam fullweiler art on instagram if you enjoyed today's episode go and visit studiobreak.com and check out some of the archived episodes that you've been missing once again, each of our posts have images of the artist's artwork that you can click through. You can also find links to their websites and be sure and listen either in the default player or click those subscribe links and join us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. You can always have something to occupy your studio space and give you thoughts to think about while you're working in the studio. Of course, if you like the podcast, we really appreciate it when people leave positive comments and or share so you can earn some karma points by doing that it's always appreciated and of course if you want to check out studio break you can also find us on facebook so like our facebook page you can find us on twitter at studio break and of course on instagram at studio underscore break where we also preview a lot of new artists that are going to be featured on the podcast so be sure and follow us there also a great place to say hello so if you like the podcast it's always great hearing from those that enjoy it so be sure and say hello i want to thank skylar mail who provides the music studio break you can check out his artwork at skylarmail.net and if you want to see some paintings from me go and visit davidlinoy.com or be sure and say hello you can find me on facebook or on instagram and twitter at david Linoy. And there you go. You made it through another episode. I really hope that you enjoyed listening, and I hope that you're enjoying a very productive studio as we get into October. And with all of that, we are wrapped. We'll talk to you real soon.